Thanks, Devin. This is a great Sunday in many ways. Uh, one is that we'll be remembering the Lord in the, um, with communion, the Lord's table. And if you've not been with us on a early service, a 915 service, it's a self-serve kind of experience. And when we uh, participate in expressing worship to God through music again, opportunity for you to come uh, up to the table, take the cup and the bread, and as you uh, pray unto the Lord, uh, receive it as you remember Him. Uh, also, it's a great Sunday in a variety of different ways. My, my niece from Indiana used to belong to our church here, was a member of church. Why don't you wave, wave your hand back there? She's visiting. Uh, that wasn't much of an applause here. Either you do it or you don't, okay? Um, and, and then, wait, how many here for the very first time? Never been at Grace Hills Church before? Uh, I, I know uh, they're in the very back. I didn't get a chance to meet you before, but we do have royalty here. We have King David, and we have uh, Ruth, uh, her, his wife here. And so uh, it's great to have uh, not only royalty, but uh, the person whose book we're studying here in, in, in person. So I don't know if she's exactly that old, but anyway, that might not be true. But we're, we're excited you're here, and, and we're, gonna be, we're studying a great book in the Bible, and we're finishing up uh, this morning. And I, I'm so excited... Uh, Actually, usually people sometimes ask the question, what's your favorite book in the Bible? And I usually the one I'm studying. And, and when I get excited about something, I speak fast. And I'm already just well, I'm speaking so fast this morning. But we're going to pray before I preach, which is always good. And, and, and then I'm going to try to slow down. And we're going to see some exciting things out of, out of God's Word this morning. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that uh, we can celebrate life. Uh, we can speak to the one who's the giver of life. Uh, we, we thank you that we look in this book that's filled with words of life, and whether we're looking back in the old or in the new, uh, there's much for us to experience and to reflect upon and apply to our lives. Help us this day as we remember not only the Lord through, the, through communion, but also as we remember the Lord as he pictured himself in the Old Testament, that we might recognize that we're not simply talking about a story, but a true event, and that you want to make uh, impact in our lives this day, no matter whether we know you or whether... Uh, uh, we've known you for a long time. You want us to make decisions that will make a difference in how we live and who we honor in life. And we ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, if not, there should be one around you and the chair behind you or the chair in front of you. And we're going to be looking at the eighth book in the Old Testament. You've got the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then you have uh, a couple books that talk about God's people getting to the promised land, Joshua and Judges. And then you have a little book called Ruth. It's only four pages long. It's been how it's put in your Bible, maybe even a couple pages less than that. Uh, and it's a book about how God intervenes in the life of, of people. And that's one thing we have in common. All of us are people this morning, and all of us have lives, and, and also God is interested in what's happening in our lives. And as we've entitled this, this series, Surprised by God, we need to recognize as we think about how is God involved in my life as I live life? And as you live life, life happens. And you wonder, is God around or not? Has God forgotten me? Is he somehow in the distance? Is he real close and near? What is God doing? And in many ways, we need to understand that we won't have the, the, the footprints in the sand that, that Ruth has for us as God inspired uh, this story to be written and we can look back at it. But we need to recognize that in our life as well, God, God is always involved. And as we recognize God's always involved, sometimes we're surprised, if we believe that, by what happens. And some of that surprise is filled with discouragement, despondency, depression, because the things that happen in our lives we would characterize as bad 
And then sometimes we're surprised and filled with enthusiasm by those things that are good. But this morning what I want to talk about uh, eventually is that as, as we think about the good and the bad, we're not going to have the other option as the ugly, but the things that can be better, but even the best. And sometimes we think the bad is the enemy of the good, but it's really not the enemy of the good. It's, it's the things that might be a little bit better. But the, what really is the enemy is the things that are somehow causing us to look beyond the thing that which is best. And so as we think at the final chapter of the book of Ruth, it really speaks about being surprised by God by that which is best. This is also a book, and we haven't really spoken clearly about it, which is, which is filled with a context of, of God's revealed will, and particularly in the Old Testament, God uh, displaying his will, particularly for the people that day, through his law. And as you think about it, knowing clearly what God wants for you or from you, uh, there's really only you know, two options. One to say yes, and the other to say no, you are a bright group this morning. Okay. And, and so th- that's really the only option that we have. And, and sometimes we, we are ignorant of God's law, and so we're kind of out there on this sea of life, and we don't really know what he has already said. But God was very plain to the people of the Old Testament, and it was, it was pretty, it laid out there pretty clearly. And in the third book of the, of the Bible, the book of Leviticus, which, which we are, we are run, reading through in our personal time with God, and, and I've been talking with many of you, it's, it's been a challenge because it's a very difficult book to kind of run through because there's so much detail that doesn't seem to apply to us. But, but if you, if you want to get one major point out of the book of Leviticus, is that, that God calls us to come to him on his terms, not on what? Our terms. And, and, and that is illustrated so graphically in the Old Testament. But that's true in the New Testament as well. Because God requires us to come on his term there as well. And, and now it's singular. You had to come through Jesus. And, and there's the law of liberty, the law of his plan for our lives. In the Old Testament, it was very detailed that you don't just come flippantly before God. You've you got to come his way. Well, the book of Ruth, as is, is we shared with you before, is in the context of God's people. Not when just talking about people out there, but just God's people were doing everything that was right in their own eyes. That's what the book of Judges is all about. They weren't coming to God on his terms, they were coming to God on their terms. And in the midst of this, Ruth is thrown up on the screen, probably about 1,000, 1,150 years before Jesus comes. And in the midst of this of this journey in which God's people are largely disobedient, you have, you have some obedience happening with God's people, particularly in, in Ruth and even Naomi and Boaz. You have people coming to him his way. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to that book that, that we're reading through just devotionally and, and turn to Leviticus chapter 25. Many of the laws in the Old Testament are... <coughs> Excuse me, are strange laws. They're just, you know, what in the world are you saying and, and, and why are you saying it? Uh, but not trying to answer that question completely this morning, uh, let me read one of those strange laws that particularly relates to the book of Ruth. Leviticus uh, chapter 25, beginning in verse 23. The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession you shall grant redemption of the land. Uh, now, I'm just stopping for a moment here. I, I want to, uh, that's a great principle for us even today to think uh, devotionally or relationally to, to our living God. 
God wants us to recognize that everything in this world is His. That we don't want to hold on too tightly to the things that we think are mine. You know, that, that's, uh, that's one of the first really cognitive things little children understand. This, this is mine. Don't play with mine. And, and God, in a, in a lawful, legal way, said, as I bring you to the promised land, I, I want you to understand this is all mine. And then also, as you think about that, even in relationship to how you relate with each other, and we're going to see this. If you sell your land, I want you to understand you're not going to lose it because what I've given you remains. And let's kind of pick this up. He goes on. He says, uh, verse 25, If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. And I'll go back and debrief this simply. Verse 26, Or if a man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale, and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. But if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee, and in the Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return his possession. Now basically it says that is that if you had owned a piece of property which was given to you by God as you went to the promised land, that territory really was going to be yours forever because it was a gift from God. But you might come in life because life happens where all of a sudden you're in poverty and you know you can't work the land. And the only way for you to survive is to sell that piece of property to somebody else that you can become either their indentured servant or you can live off the proceeds of that and somehow live life to be able to exist physically. But, but God wanted them to, I want you to understand, however, in, among my people, I want you to understand, you're not going to lose what I've given you. And in a 49-year period, the year of Jubilee, whatever you sold will return to you. So, it, so in many ways, you never sell a land, you only lease it. And then it comes back. But in the meantime, if you have family that, that, that come to help you out, as someone who you related to, a kinsman, they can decide that the, the property that you sold, you know, on a prorated price because of, you know, depending on what part of that 49-year period t- time you sold the land, it would be worth various amounts. They can buy it back for you. And, and you can now live and enjoy the land that you once had. Well, in the midst of this, we have the picture of Ruth in, in which as they went into Moab and they sold the land... They came back impoverished and had nothing of their own. And, and they, were, they were destined to either lose that land within their particular family line uh, because probably Naomi was not going to have any sons. And, and they were going to lose it unless a kinsman redeemer, and kinsman simply means someone you're related to, a redeemer means someone who's willing to pay the price for that which you have and give it to you, would come to their rescue. And as we're going to see at the end, this really pictures what Jesus does for us. Jesus, God, and uh, the second person, the Trinity, uh, the person who is full, full of deity, divine, decides to leave the throne of heaven and become one of us. They become near to us. And then he pays the debt that we could not pay. Pays the full price on our behalf. 
that we might be rescued from our impoverished condition spiritually before God and be set free. And just as Jesus, and we talked about that briefly last week in Luke chapter 24, where he said, as you look back in the Old Testament, all of it speaks of me. How could you miss it? And he could have gone to Ruth and said, look, look, look at, as you think of Boaz, that was, that was a type of me. In the midst of having lost it all, I, I bought it back. But if you have your outline this morning, what I want to do is I kind of want to run through uh, the book a little bit by way of context. You, you, you might be like uh, King David and Ruth here this morning. You're, you're uh, at the end of our series right in the beginning, and they might be particularly familiar with this particular section anyway. But as you think, what, what is the storyline here? It's a, it's a four-chapter story. And when you think about being surprised by God, and we've already spoke about that, you can be surprised by that which is bad and by that which is good. You know, good news, bad news. This story begins with the bad news. And, and this is not just difficult news. We all go through life and, you know, we, we can't find the parking spot. You know, we, we, you know, we can't uh, somehow um, go where we want to go or do what we want to do. And, and maybe someone's late for some event that we want them to participate with. And, and just, just things happen. But th- these aren't just the struggling things in life. These are the bad things in life. And, and so the story begins with, with, a, with a couple, with a family. Elimelech, or Elimelech, depending on how you want to say that name. And his bride, Naomi, decide, decide because of life happening in their homeland, that, that they're going to take off. They leave Bethlehem, which is known as the house of bread, to go to a place where there is bread in Moab. But Elimelech really makes a bad decision here. And, and Naomi, in her, in her faithfulness to her husband, follows him. And going down that path, great pain is experienced. She, she loses her husband at an early age, but, but he had given birth to two sons. And, and her hope was in her sons, and, and, and somehow in the experience of her sons being married, that they, they would bring back you know, a, a line for, for them to go back to Israel with. But her two sons die. No greater pain than for a for a mother to lose the life of her children. And, and now she realizes, even though she's been obedient to God, that now she's got to go back to her homeland. And, and she doesn't come back prosperous, but even more poor than when she left. She, she persuades one of her mother, or daughter-in-laws to stay, Orpah, and, and yet somehow Ruth saw something in her life, even in the midst of pain, that she wanted. And in those Passages to ponder in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Ruth speaks to her mother-in-law. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from falling after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people and your God, my God. See, see Ruth had already experienced what is really the best in life. The best is life discovering who God is and, and faithfully following him. And uh, she was burning all of her bridges. She said this in verse 17. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and much more, if anything but death departs you and me. I wonder if we've come to that point in our life where we say, God, I'm all in. I'm all in no, no matter what happens. My life is on the line. I will be faithful and obedient to you. And that's where Ruth had come to. 
But Naomi had experienced life at its worst. And she recognized because of her relationship with God that God could filter any trial, any testing that had gone through her life. And in Ruth chapter 1, verse 21, she says, I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. And some of you, maybe this morning, that, that's, that's really the description of your life. You can look back at better times. where you, Your life was full of enthusiasm because your experiences and the blessings of, of life. But now you're not on full, you're on empty. And, and you're wondering, where is God? In fact, she even, even points a finger at God and says, And the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. Naomi is still living down that path of trying to be obedient, but she's on empty. Surprised by God. Sometimes we're surprised by the bad things that happen. But then the the story turns a a corner. And no longer is she surprised with bad surprises. Uh, Then the good begins to happen. Then a good surprise. And in chapter 2, Ruth very graciously says, Naomi, let me work the land for you. Let me go out where the, the orphans and the widows and the destitute and poor go and they glean the fields. They, they pick the edges to, to survive. And she goes out there not knowing where to go, but God directs her path and she ends up landing in the, in the fields of Boaz. And, and those who get an opportunity to go with, with Israel will see those, those fields of Boaz that surround Bethlehem. And you'll, you'll see at a, at a point in, in a geographical place that this is not just some imagination. This happened. There's a place where you can, you can envision Ruth going around the fields and gleaning. And in the midst of that, a boy meets girl and girl meets boy. And, and, and there's a whole other story as you see relationship being built. And Boaz sees in Ruth not only someone who works hard, is willing to graciously put forth effort not only on her behalf but for the behalf of her her mother-in-law, but he sees faith. Look at Ruth chapter two, verse twelve. And this is this is what Boaz says to to Ruth: "The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you come for refuge." Because you've come to that place where you have put yourself at, at God's disposal, you are looking to Him for everything. Because of that, God's seeing your faith will reward your faith with that which is good. So in chapter 1, we see they're surprised by that which is bad, and it's bad. Losing a husband, losing two sons, having no children, no grandchildren, Ruth herself being barren. They come back to the promised land. They come back to the house of bread. And, and, and Ruth begins to move her feet and being obedient to God. And she goes out in the field and she works the field and, and God providentially leads her to the field of Boaz and her faith is rewarded. Uh, the, the good is their, their physical needs are met. But what's followed with a good surprise is, is followed with a better surprise. And in chapter 3, what we have is we have Naomi guiding Ruth to take the relationship with Boaz to the next step. You know, sometimes guys are, are, are a little bit slow. And so it had been, they had met, you know, on, on the day in chapter 2, and now it had been six or seven weeks. And, and Boaz actually 
humanly speaking, say, well, you know, I'm a little bit older than her, and there's probably a lot better prospects out there. And so he's kind of hanging back. And, and Naomi persuades Ruth in the most unusual story in chapter 3. I, I want you to make a proposal for a proposal. I want to go out there in the evening, and I want you, as he dozes off, I want you to, to lie at his feet. And this was a step of faith as well. In fact, actually in Ruth chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 9, uh, as, as Boaz wakes up, he says, I, I, who, who is this? And he, she answers, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. And he says, take your maid, and she says, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are close relatives. Which is the same picture we have in terms of having a faith and confidence in God to be our protector and provider. And she says that to Boaz knowing at this point she's at his disposal. But she makes the right choice. Because when you think about faith, and we need to understand that everyone has faith. Everyone puts their confidence in something or someone. It could be their bank account. It could be their family. It could be their friends. It could be whatever it might be, the economy or the lack thereof or whatever it might be. There's all kinds of places people put their faith. The issue here is, is that Ruth puts her faith in a person. And before that, she put her faith in the person. And she puts her confidence that the object of her faith is one who is trustworthy. But if, if you know the story in Ruth chapter 3, what, what, you, what you have here is, is there's a proposal for a proposal, and Boaz makes the proposal. He says, but I, I, there's an obstacle here. And, and we need to understand, too, in life, there's many obstacles, isn't it? It seems like everything's going down smoothly, and then all of a sudden something's going wrong. You go, what, what am I going to do? What am I, how am I going to face the challenge? And Boaz says, that, I'm going to take care of this, but there's something that must be done before the best can happen. And so there, there we have kind of the outline of, of Ruth. We have surprised by life, the bad surprises, the good surprise, the better surprise. There's a marriage that's supposed to happen, and... It's only a proposal. The best is yet to come. And, and we need to understand in terms of our life as well. As we go through life today and we're disappointed by what's happening now, is that we are promised the best is yet to come. And, and if we're focused on simply the now, we're, we are missing that we have a faith that's based on the future, what God is going to do. And we can participate in that now, but the best is yet to come. Well, let's pick it up in Ruth chapter 4, reading, reading the account, at least part of it, as we, as we see how does God accomplish his plan. And again, as we think about Boaz and, and Jesus as being connected in terms of being a type, which simply means that what happened in Boaz's lives pictures what, what happens and what Jesus does, is that when Jesus came here, and I... He had to do all things to fulfill righteousness. He had to fulfill all the things that, that would line up to the place where he was able to go to the cross. And that was true for Boaz as well. as He desired to, to have union with Ruth. Ruth chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And this kinsman redeemer, the, the nearest relative, would be the one who could pay the, the redemptive price to acquire the land and make the connection with the family. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. 
And so they sat down. And the reason 10 were came, because in that particular, if there was a very important decision they had to make, there had to be witnesses. And so there were 10 that would be in that jury box as they saw the things that were to happen. Then he said to the close row, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I brought to inform you, saying, Buy it back, the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there's no one but you to redeem it, and I am not next after you. Which is a long way to say simply, hey, you've got to decide. Are you going to be the one who will buy back the land for Naomi, uh, be, allow her to, to experience that which God had originally given her, and she had to sell? And if you're not going to do it, then, then I'll take that step. Well, in those days, it was particularly uh, a... Uh, an honorable thing to be a participant in being that which brought back to a near relative what they had lost. And so he responds, says, I will redeem it. Now Boaz, I understand there's a second part of the story, so he begins to add this in, verse 5. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy it, buy the field from the land of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through the inheritance. This messes it up for this other relative. And so in verse 6 he says, And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now one of the reasons he might not have done this, he's thinking, as I mentioned earlier, that Naomi, who was advanced in years, would not probably bear children, would not somehow dilute his inheritance to his other children, and so he said, well, yeah, I can, I can do that and actually enhance what I have now because eventually it will go to my family. But recognizing that he would also have to marry Ruth, who was younger in age, and she might be able to have a child, he, somehow this would be diluted. And so he said, ah, that's, that's not for me. And, and so Boaz steps up to the plate, verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything one from uh, one would take off his sandal and give it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Verse 8. Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. And so he took off the sandal. And, if Boaz, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses to this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the, the widow of Malon, I have accepted as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be put off from among his brethren and from his people at the gate. You are witnesses this day. Now, it's interesting, that, again, the, kind of the background here, to perpetuate the land and to, to illustrate that he was now transferring his right to take of the land. He took off his sandal and gave it to Boaz. And, and kind of the illustrative idea here is that when Boaz received the sandal, and particularly if he were to put it on his foot, it somehow would somehow fit, uh, is that whenever he would walk that land that was previously Naomi's uh, and now been purchased back, that that land no longer was belonging to the one who could have purchased it, but it belonged to him. So every time he walked in that sandal, it illustrated it was his, not the other's. You know, as you think about what God wants to do in our lives, and when we come into to know Him, he, he, he wants to seal that which He's given to us. And the Bible says that when we become a child of His, He seals us with His Holy Spirit. 
that we know that once we were all alone and we were walking down our own paths, we're now in his. Now, now what becomes so much better than that which was simply a proposal in chapter 3 is now the best, is all by which this accomplished. Uh, Reading on, verse 11. And all the people who were at the gate and, and, and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make this woman, Ruth, who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah. And particularly what's significant about Rachel. Remember Rachel when he, she, was, she was married um, that uh, she was barren? She could not have children. And, and God opened up her womb. And that would be true of Ruth as well. The two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah. And, and, and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So they were convinced that God would open her womb. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous. In Israel, and maybe he be able to re- be a restorer of life and a nurser of your, in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, this is what's so interesting here, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Now, now, now sons to a Jewish woman was the, the height of, of that which God had given to her as a gift. And the number seven is the number of completion. She is better than a sevenfold gift that other people put at, at the height of God's provision for you. So much so that it even goes on, verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor woman came in a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David which begins the line by which Jesus comes. And that finishes off with the rest of the the lineage of Obed. Can I submit to all of us as we think about the message of the book of Ruth? Is there things that are going to happen in our life that we would characterize as bad? Some things we would even say are good. Some things are even better, but there is the best that God offers. The best that God offers is that we can participate in God's eternal plan. In the midst of Naomi losing everything, she had the privilege of participating in that which is everything. It doesn't get any better than knowing the God who created you and died for you. But it's not necessarily going to be easy. On the back page, I, I, I took a line from John Piper who wrote this about the book of Ruth. He says, The life of the godly, and the life of the godly is the obedient, is not a straight line to glory, or, or you could say to that which is best. But they, because of God's providential or invisible directing hand, do get there. And maybe this morning, as you've come uh, to worship, there's some things in, in your life that are just confusing. Or maybe there's some things in your life that you just don't know what the next thing will happen. There's a future desire in your heart that, that you want to see come to be. And 
And, and there's no assurances that that will happen. There are things in life that are, that, that are good, that are even better than good. But can you imagine being involved in that which is good and better, but missing the best? How shallow it is if, if a man could gain the whole world, and yet loses what? His soul. Naomi had lost everything, but she hadn't lost her soul. And God, through her line, brought Jesus. And whenever we participate in God's best plan, we have that which is best. See, Jesus is the kinsman redeemer. And for a person to be a kinsman redeemer, first of all, you must be related. Boaz could only qualify as a person who could buy back the land for Naomi and put it in her in, in, in her possession, if, if somehow he was connected relationally. You know, why did Jesus become a man? Is there any other way that could have happened? And the only way it could have happened is for Jesus to become a man. Become one of us. As Philippians 2 said, leave the throne of glory. To become obedient to the point of death. To be one who could die by being one of us. But, but a person could be a relative, even a near relative, just like the one that Boaz had to persuade not to take Ruth as his wife. Um, but there's a couple other qualifications. One is you, you could be a relative but not be able to pay the price for the land. See, the reason people lost the land in the Old Testament is because they became impoverished. And, and, and you might be looking around for someone else to somehow bring back that land into your possession, but you look at all your relatives and they, they were as poor as you were. Or maybe they were just making it. As we look at Jesus, the, the only reason we, we really believe that Jesus can save is because he was able to save. And Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 puts it so plainly that way. He is able to save. And, and the real truth is there's no one else who is able to save. If God would become a man, what would he be like? He would be just like Jesus. He would live a sinless life. He would say things no one else had ever said. He would speak with authority. He would do the miraculous. He would somehow enter into this life in, in, the, in the most miraculous, amazing way. But he would go to the cross and be risen from the dead. The reason Jesus can save is because he's able to save. The thing that's more amazing than anything else is, you know, you could have a kinsman redeemer who was related to you, who was able to pay the price for the land, but he's got to be willing. And, and the greatest mystery of, of life is that, that God is willing to take any one of us who falls so short and display his love upon us and forgive us for everything we've ever done. When, when Jesus paid the price, he paid it in full. That's what, he, that's what it meant when Jesus said, it is finished, paid in full. And, and we look at all the list of things that we've done wrong before God. He nailed it to the cross and paid the price. What, what's the challenge I want to leave us as we prepare to, to remember the Lord at the communion table? The so what? Uh, are, the question is very simple. Are you participating in the best of God's eternal plan. Many have heard the story. They've heard the Jesus story. Some have even maybe read and heard the Ruth story, which pictures 
the Jesus story. But, but there comes a point in time where, where, where you've you got to make the proposal. And, and you need to accept the proposal that God has given. As Jesus says, come, you, you must come. When he invites you to believe, you, you must believe. When, when he invites you to take your cross and follow him, you've got to make that step. See, Jesus is, is able to save you. He's willing to save you. But you must respond. But if you've already made that step, the other step is, are, are you going to live a life of obedience? Are, are you going to participate in that which is, which is best? Are you going to... You're going to be so preoccupied by the things that aren't that important. You know, it was, uh, it was exciting for me as a dad to have uh, Matt back from, uh, from 28 days in Europe, traveling on back, you know, backpacking throughout the whole, you know, 15 countries over a period of, you know, basically a month. And if envy is still a sin, I was envious for 28 days, all right? And, uh, I mean, he had an awesome time. He has all kinds of pictures that just show the experiences he had. And, and he experienced that which is good. And, and maybe better than good. But what excites me more is, is, not, is not that he's had experience to, to, uh, to experience some beauty in life and just an adventure. is what's important to him is talking to kids in Huntington Beach who have nothing about Jesus. It's nothing about him, but it's just like, this is this is what really gives him joy. He enjoys what life is all about, but what gives him real joy is participating and getting the message out to people who need to know Jesus. The story of Ruth is at the end. It was it was that little child was more important, sevenfold than anything else that had ever happened in Naomi's life. And when we participate by, by using our spiritual gifts and when we serve others and we, we are channels of God's love, when we have the opportunity to tell people about that which is the best, which is about Jesus. That's what the story of Ruth is all about. Being surprised by the, the good and the bad, but being amazed by that which is the best. If you haven't made that step to know Jesus, I, I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. And if you have made that step, maybe today you want to say, I want to be all in. I want to be obedient to the core. I want to follow Jesus no matter what. And I want to serve him and speak about him. Let's pray. Lord, there came a time in Ruth's life when she looked at a person of faith, Naomi, even going through the worst of times, decided, I want your God to be my God. And maybe this morning there's some here, people here that haven't made that step. And the good news is that you invite us at any point in time to say, Jesus, I surrender. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be a follower of yours. And when we do that, you, you bring us into your family. If anyone has not done that, might today be the day where they say yes to Jesus. And then, Father, for us who are on a journey of living our faith out, might we renew our commitment to you? 
or in a, in a very specific, fresh way, say, God, I'm all in. I want to enjoy the things of life, but more than that, I want to participate in the best of life. Serving you, speaking about you, knowing that which is important, and looking forward to the best that is yet to come. Help us to live for you as we think about the one who came for us. And as we participate in communion this morning, help us just to remember the best gift, the indescribable gift that was given to us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.